Thank you, Dale. And I appreciated the talent shared by the family. And the thoughts this morning around the table, I think, were very suitable as well, kind of fit in with what I have to say uh, this morning. And I'm taking, again, an opportunity to speak from the book of James, and the first chapter, verses 13 to 18. And kind of the question that I'm putting to us today is, who do you really blame? Who do you blame? There's a story of a man on a diet, and some of us probably can relate to this, especially after Christmas and New Year's and everything else. And the man knew he had to lose weight, and he was determined to do his best, and he changed his diet, he changed his habits of snacking, did his best to avoid watching television and commercials, especially with the food that comes on late at night. Uh, he changed even his rug to and from work to try and avoid going by coffee shops and so on. But one morning, it seemed kind of curious, but he ended up, he arrived at work late. And he arrived carrying a great, big, beautiful, delicious cake. And he explained, well, it's a, it's a very special cake. You see, I was in a rush this morning, and so I, I just kind of accidentally took my old route to work, and I accidentally drove by the bakery on the way, and there in the window was this host of all kinds of warm goodies, and I felt it was no accident, but I thought it was a sign from God. So I, I prayed to him, Lord, if you want me to have any of those delicious goodies, then make sure that there's a parking place directly in front of the bakery for me. And sure enough, there was one there right by the front door, the eighth time around the block. <laughs> Let's face it, we all have a weakness of some kind, and sometimes we don't go out of the way to avoid the weaknesses. We all succumb to some desire, and we don't want to admit we're the ones to blame. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's face it, temptation is inevitable. No matter where we live or what we do, as long as we live in this human body and in this world, we will face temptation. James says that if we're relying on our own strength, and we heard that in the communion of thought as well, we will inevitably fail. When we yield to temptation, Satan deceives us and he destroys us, and instead he gives us misery and death. God gives us hope. He gives us life. He gives us light through the word of truth and the eternal word of Jesus Christ. God has no part in sin. He has no fellowship with Satan. He cannot tolerate evil. The same is different as light is from dark. 
Evil cannot stand in his presence. God does not entice us to sin. He is never the source of our temptation. We cannot blame it on God. He is holy, and he cannot be tempted by evil, nor tempt us with it. Another place in the scriptures you find the message that God does not change. He's not fickle. His yes is always yes, and his no is always no. And it doesn't change with the times or with the morality of the world around us. He doesn't change what he says. But a lot of times we look for change. And we look to blame something or someone else. We're kind of like kids, you know. I don't know if you remember the, I think it was the Family Circus with Bill Keen. Remember the little round cartoons? And it was the little kids who were always running around and things getting broken. And they say, who did that? Not me, not me, not me. There's a story of a four-year-old who was caught by her mom standing in a chair, standing in a chair, pulled up against the kitchen counter. And uh, she was told not to do that. And she explained the situation. Mom, it's not my fault. I just climbed up there to smell them and my tooth kind of got caught. <laughs> you know, there is an epidemic in our society of people who fail to take responsibility for their actions and inactions. And the question is, how is each one of us at accepting our responsibility? When you do something wrong, do you admit it? Do you blame someone or something else? There's an often repeated recent quote that's been heard a lot in the media from Donald Trump. I take no responsibility for what happened. And I think a lot of us could probably say the same thing about things that happen around us. Everyone blames everyone else. It really wasn't my fault. But would anyone really go to the extent of blaming God? Say, well, it's God's fault for doing all of this and creating the situation. Why did God allow evil and so forth? How about the case of the pair? Do you remember that special pair? Kind of like in that song, talk about they walked with God in the cool of the evening. They heard his voice. They communed with him on a daily basis. But not in that time that they were hiding. As soon as they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, and they heard his voice, and they took off and hid. And God called them and he said, where are you? And the man said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you made and put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Who's, who's being blamed? We sometimes say it was the woman's fault, but reality is that Adam was blaming God as well. And then the Lord said to the woman, what's this you have done? And the woman said, well, the servant deceived me. And I ate. And she blamed some of the servant. God cannot fellowship with sin. He cannot tolerate, nor does he direct us into it. Adam and Eve chose to make that choice to disobey. 
And they paid the price away from his presence. We today, we also make that choice. And when we do, we are away from the presence of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says there that the angels surrounded the throne of God, and they're, they're always crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know what that word holy means? It means separate. Separated away from sin. God isn't the source of evil. And he, doesn't, he doesn't allow evil in his presence. He's the source of all good things. Verses 16 to 18, we see that picture of darkness as opposed to light. The, the two things are different. As different as, as the darkness of, of midnight to the brightest part of the day. The Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I think sometimes we fail to realize that we are in a war. We're, we're in a battle, but it's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of this dark world. And Satan uses every dirty trick possible to fight against God and mankind. And he sets man against man, brother against brother, nation against nation, and mankind against God. Satan wages a misinformation war. The matter of fake news isn't anything new, folks. Satan's been doing it for years, all about God, the good life being salvation instead of God's way. Nothing outside of ourselves is strong enough to cause us to sin, but not even sin. But when you and I choose to yield to temptation, it's an individual matter. You cannot blame anyone else. Verses 14 and 15 again, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. James writes here, and he uses a hunting and fishing metaphor, and I'm not sure if any of you were into that as much, but he, he, it basically, it's the idea that the victim is dragged away by a predator, enticed as by a lure. And the word that in the original Greek that is translated as enticed means to bait a hook. Like you take and bait a hook with something on it to trap the, the fish. And when that fish takes the bait, they're caught. They're hooked. And they're dragged out. To catch something, you have to provide a bait that's interesting and enticing. So the first thing, you select the bait according to the, the victim. Prepare the trap, and the desire of that creature is one that causes it to put its mouth around that bait. Nothing else. The inner desire, the attraction to the bait. And sin occurs when we yield, when we take the bait. And sin ends up in the tragic consequence. Prey being hunted is often a lot more vulnerable when it's alone. You ever see the National Greek Geographic things? What happens? Or even you know, if there's animals in a herd, often they will take and they'll try and single out the weakest, get that animal alone, and take it down. 
And we need to be aware of our company and our surroundings, and especially if we are alone and we are walking alone and not in company with other Christians. We are weaker. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, that situation again? When did Satan catch the woman? It said when the woman was alone. In Genesis chapter 39, there's another very good example. A young man by the name of Joseph in the household of his master, Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife kind of got an inkling for Joseph, and she decided she wanted him, and she waited until they were alone. And here was a single man alone in his master's house, and she wanted him, and there was nothing subtle about her. And she dropped the bait. Joseph spit it out. He refused. And he took off and he ran like mad. And if you want to go back and look at that in Genesis 39, he took off and she got the garment. And she got her revenge. But eventually he got his reward for being upright. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, there's another case there, a guy by the name of David, Bathsheba. <laughs> David went looking for the bait. He chose to remain on the palace roof for the time when all the rest of the, of the, the nation, the army, were off at war. But he stayed behind, up on the roof, happened to look out and saw this beautiful woman bathing. And he didn't avert his eyes. He decided to stay watching her. And so his behavior changed from being a peeping Tom to becoming a stalker, to being a predator, to being an adulterer, to attempting to cover up the whole thing after she became pregnant, to lying, to applauding the murder of her husband. You see... One thing often can lead to bigger things. We're not immune. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul spoke of Israel's failure and disobedience. And he reminded them that, you know, that they had witnessed God's power to deliver them through the plagues, leading them out into the wilderness, across the Red Sea, he provided for them in the wilderness. And then they very eagerly made a covenant with him and yet very quickly became unfaithful and fell away. And Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11, 13, these things happened to them as an example and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall, because no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The remainder of that passage reminds us of the source of hope. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will provide a way out so you can endure it. 
Hold on to that hope. God is more powerful than the devil. Prepare for the battle. Know your opponent. This day and age, it may not necessarily seem like warfare, but I mean, we're, this present day, we're in a lot of high-tech stuff. If any of you are into watching or following sports, you know that sports is becoming very high-tech. It's not too much this last year, but I mean, a lot of the, the cases you find that the coaches and the players and that will spend hours viewing and analyzing videos of their competition before facing them. They study their every move, they know their habits, their techniques, their strengths, and their weaknesses. And they'll look for all information with, that will help them to defeat their opponents. Players, if they're pursuit of, of excellence, they'll even take a look at their own life and their own examples and their own play to try and develop better ways to overcome bad habits and to try and strengthen their performance. And our opponent, Satan, studies us. And he knows our weaknesses. He knows the ways to kind of get at us in our lives. Don't take that for granted. To lure mice with your cheese or some other bait like peanut butter. If you're looking to trap a, a rat or a skunk or a fox, you're going to use something different. And similarly, Satan baits the trap to lure us. So be ready to resist. Sometimes it seems we believe resisting temptation is something that's some mystical, unreachable, unattainable talent that's reserved for the incredibly old who no longer feel any type of temptation or for those who are very, very pious. But the question is, do we prepare for battle or do we welcome it? Kind of a funny little story, but I mean, it, in many ways, it kind of illustrates the way some of us look at things in life. A story of a little boy who decided he wanted to do something his mother didn't want him to do. You never hear that, do you? <laughs> the mother had told her son not to go swimming. It was obviously not this time of year. <clears throat> However, when she, he came into the house a little later, and his mom noticed that his hair was wet. He was wearing a bathing suit. She said, Johnny, I told you not to go swimming. He said, I couldn't help it, Mom. The water looked so good. Oh, Lord, why did you go taking swimming? And why did you take your bathing suit with you when I told you not to go swimming? He said, well, I didn't want to get my clothes wet. So I took my bathing suit just in case I was tempted. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes I think we take more preparation to be tempted than to avoid temptation. Don't tolerate temptation. Counteract it. Avoid the places that make you weak. Stay away from them. Avoid the movies that make you weak and bring desires you can't handle. If you have problems with the Internet and TV programs and so forth, with pornography, avoid those things. If you have problems with relationships with immoral people, avoid them. If you have problems with gambling or drinking, avoid those things in those places. If you have problems with gossip and gossipers, hold your tongue and find different company. If you have problems with laziness, 
get up early and start working and make a list and find something else to do. If you have problems with bitterness, forgive actively. Like Joseph, who was faced with sensual sin, he chose to run to avoid it. We are to flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a man commits or outside his body, it says, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I wonder, you know, if, if David would have been asked, if he had considered the night of pleasure with Bathsheba worth it, in hindsight, the adultery, the lying, the murder, his own family torn apart, his own son's immorality, the rebellion, the civil war that came upon Israel, all of that, I think his answer would clearly have been no. And a lot of times, we kind of forget the matter of the excitement of the momentary sin, of the affair, the sexual premarital sex, or whatever else may seem like pleasure at the time. But marriage... When its marriage is ruined, when a family is disrupted, when you see the kids only in weekend because of shared custody, when you lose respect, when you end up contracting an STD or something else, you find the pain outweighs the pleasure of that moment. And that's only one aspect, folks. Desire is a catalyst when we are tempted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran theologian around the time of World War II. He saw that what was happening in his nation. And one of the things that he said is said that once desire is kindled, it burns like a raging fire and seizes mastery of the flesh. It makes no difference whether it's sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. And finally, that strange desire for the beauty of for the world, at this point, joy in God is extinguished in us, and we seek only our own joy. Satan here does not fill us with hatred of God, but forgetfulness of God. God is the giver of all good gifts. That's what it said there in the 17th is that God is the giver of all good gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Counterfeits are often given in darkness for the reason, because it's, you need good light to discern the difference between real and fake. And beware of Satan's counterfeits, the matter of false doctrine, false faith, false motives, even false use of scripture. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? Again, he was on his own, deliberately, when Satan approached him. And he countered Satan's techniques over and over again with the, with the word, with the knowledge of the truth. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You can't just have the things of the world. Do not put the Lord of your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
We need to store up the word of God in our minds. No weapon can stand up against the truth. God is the author of life. He's given us the good news of Christ's death and resurrection to rescue us from evil. He chose us and chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all who created. He gives us the gift of life through his Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives. He forgives our sins. He changes our desires. He changes our direction. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Because he loves us. Apart from God, on our own, we are weak, we are vulnerable to Satan's temptation. And the enemy knows us, he uses lies and weaknesses against us, he uses our own weakness to create the bait to tempt us. But the responsibility still lies with each one of us. Every man and woman from Adam and Eve to the present, each one is responsible for our own choice to obey or to disobey. Are you like that man that chose to drive around and around the bakery looking to find the taste of sin? Or do you continue to, to, to move on? On our own, we bear the consequence. We fall victims to Satan's traps. Temptation is inevitable. Even Christ faced temptation, but God is holy. And God has no part with sin, and he does not cause it, nor can it remain in his presence, and there are no valid excuses for any one of us. The consequence of sin is death. Spiritual separation from God. Christ came and he paid the penalty. He changed the course of history, and he's willing to change the course of our history, of our lives, each one of us. And so the challenge is to fix your eyes on him, to follow the way of Christ, to choose him, to choose life. Let's take a moment in prayer. Father God, as we contemplate the matter of the choices that are put before us, of life or death, darkness or light, Satan or salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to realize it's not by our own strength, but by faith and grace and walking with Jesus Christ and his spirit within us. Father, help us to let his light be seen in our lives on a daily basis. And Father, help us to realize that when we walk alone, that we run into temptation. And I pray, Father, that you would strengthen and encourage this congregation to lift up and encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approach. Father, May all that is said and done, not only here 
in this midst by our own each day of this week. Be to your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.